Amen. We're going to look in First uh, Samuel, First Samuel chapter 17. And I want to share a message entitled, Prove Me, in First Samuel chapter 17. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 34, so you can open your Bibles up there. Just a reminder, there are nominations for deacon uh, for the new year out in the foyer. If you would like to uh, nominate someone, to turn that into one of the deacons or one of the pastoral staff. Uh, we'd appreciate that. Also, just want to give you a heads up this year because of COVID and trying to keep a lack of, uh, you know, the limit the contact that we have with each other and all that. Uh, we usually do a Christmas box out in the foyer. We're not doing that this year for Christmas cards. Uh, and so you can just hand the cards out to each other. And rather than putting them in the box, it just seems like people are always rooting through the cards and all this and the other. So we were trying to limit, it, uh, limit that amount of contact, physical contact. So just make a note about that. There'll be no Christmas card box in the foyer this year. And we'll get that started back up next year. But uh, we, that'll be, a, I think, a great help uh, for us in uh, trying to manage in, uh, this whole thing with COVID-19. Well, before we go into the scriptures, I'd like uh, for Karen and uh, well, Scott Finkart to come up on the platform. Amen. Now, they're going to sing a duet for us. You see? <laughs> well, they come up. You, many of you may not know, but this is their last Sunday with us. Uh, they're moving down to Delaware. And uh, we just want to say a special thank you to them and just uh, share a few thoughts here uh, as uh, they're going to believe in us. And um, Scott and Karen joined the church back in February of 2000. And so over these last 20 years, uh, they certainly have been uh, showing themselves faithful to the ministry here at Ocean County Baptist Church. They've been a blessing uh, to us. They're, all of their children have gone off to Bible college and they're all involved in, in church ministry. And uh, that speaks well of God's blessing on your relationship as a husband and wife and as a mother and a father uh, to be able to train your children up in the way that they should go. And that certainly is a great testimony for us to be able to see that. Uh, Karen was involved in and started a great ministry called The Value of One. Uh, that was a ministry of uh, uh, dealing with uh, sex trafficking here in New Jersey. Uh, she, with others, were able to get uh, what meetings in schools and th those type of uh, in uh, you know, revenue, uh, not revenue venues, and uh, be able to share with teenagers about the dangers of sex trafficking. Uh, even beyond that, because of her involvement, uh, Karen was also. Uh, part of uh, getting legislation passed in New Jersey dealing with tra sex trafficking. And so that's an amazing task, and we appreciate that. Um, she certainly has been involved in our vacation Bible schools, uh, in our Awana program, uh, certainly has showed herself faithful. Scott, when we started the o Ocean County Christian Academy, taught for us, I think, one year or two years? One year? One year? Huh? That was enough. <laughs> he said, one year of OCCA and I'm out of here, amen. And, uh, but anyway, uh, he taught in our school to help us get started off. He's done maintenance around here in the church. Anytime things have been broke or whatever, we've been able to call him, and he just jumps right on it. Uh, he's been the director of the, the RU program, Reformers Anonymous, 
Um, that's going to be a, a great uh, a challenge to replace him. We already have people in place. Uh, we have Mark Pierveseni and also Daniel Kim. So we have uh, Scott that ran that. We took two men to cover him and replace him. Amen. <laughs> but uh, we're glad to be able to cover that. He's been a deacon in our church. Uh, he's been, everybody knows him in the vacation Bible school skits, amen, and no matter what is, we've uh, put him up to, he's met the task, and we appreciate that. Um, he's been an actor in our Christmas cantatas and things like that with the church, and certainly appreciate that. And so you can see that over the last 20 years, they've been involved in many, many different parts of ministry within our church. They certainly are going to be missed here at Ocean County Baptist Church. Those two chairs, I'm going to set a memorial up next week, amen. <laughs> they have always sat in those two chairs right back there for the last 20 years. I don't know if we can do church without them sitting there. But we just have a little gift for you just to say thank you and God bless you. So be sure to uh, stop by and just tell them uh, that you love them and you're going to be missing them. I know that I mean much to them and certainly pray for us as we um, are always looking for God to raise up people to do the work of the ministry in this place. And the ministry could not go forward if we did not have people who have a burden for ministry, a burden for the Lord Jesus Christ, a burden for those souls that are lost. And so 1 Samuel chapter 17 Prove me, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. And uh, the servants slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put on a helmet of brass upon his head, and also his, uh, armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded himself, I'm sorry, his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling as in his, was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistines came on and drew near to David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked, about in Saul David, he, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, uh, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight to be able to study the Word of God. And thank you for the songs we've been able to sing and just the fellowship we've enjoyed. And I'm thankful now that we can look into the Word of God and make some practical applications into our own life. And uh, Lord, I'm thankful for the proving ground from God. I'm thankful, Lord, that you prepare us uh, for what it is you long to do and desire to accomplish through us. And so, God, we surrender ourselves to you afresh and anew this evening, just asking for a special move and anointing of God upon us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 39 is our text verse. David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And so uh, we certainly know the story of David and Goliath, and we learn that story when we're young children. And, it, and we certainly uh, hear that uh, preaching and teaching on, G on David uh, opposition of dealing with this great giant, Goliath. David was simply a young lad, and he's going to go in battle against a great warrior. And Saul thought that he could help David by giving David his armor. But the problem is, as David says here, he says, I've not proved it. In other words, I haven't tested it. I haven't tried it. And I, I often think that every time I read that passage, how large the armor must have been because Saul was a tall, big man. And certainly as a young lad, it certainly would not fit upon uh, David. And so David uh, was uh, saying to go, he wanted to go, but he could not move because of this armor was not suitable for him. We understand that David has come from the field of tending sheep. And when this is going on, uh, he's not a trained soldier. Uh, nor does he have a soldier's attire. He's just a shepherd boy coming to see what is going on with the battle and uh, how the children of Israel are faring against the enemy. And uh, David takes on him, to him the opportunity to be able to fight against this warrior. However, he could not deal, do it with the armor of Saul because he had not tried it, he had not tested it, he had not proved it. And he was not confident with it. However, he had a sling, and he knew how to use the sling, and he knew how uh, to uh, get the stones out of the brook to fight, use them in the sling to fight this enemy. And uh, I think sometimes we have to be careful that we don't try to accomplish things in the realm of the unknown that we're not comfortable with. I remember I was coming here to pastor a candidate for the church position as pastor, and uh, the deacons and the pulpit committee asked me, well, how, would, uh, how was I going to build the church? And I, I simply told them, I said, I have no idea. And uh, that's not, I would not recommend to say that when you're applying for a job, amen, but... I was just being honest because these different fellows were candidating before I got here and they brought portfolios and demographics of the area and all this, that, and the other. And I'm not a techie guy. I don't know, I don't know how to do all that stuff. And uh, set up graphs and everything. And then, so they asked me, how are you going to build the church? I said, I have absolutely no idea. I said, first of all, I don't know who you are. So, and secondly, I don't know what your spiritual condition is. I don't understand. I don't know what your relationship with the Lord is. So how can I come and tell you I'm going to build the church, 
based on just assumptions. I, can't, I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I said, but, I did say this. I said, I, I do know how to do this. I said, I know how to lead people to Christ, and I know how to preach. Amen. And I said, so I'll come and go soul winning, and I'll come and preach the word of God. That's what I was comfortable with. That's what I was confident in. And there may be others that are great administrators and others that are great at figuring out the demographics of an area and all this, that, and the other. I'm sorry, I hadn't proved that. And so, but I knew what I could do, and I promised that that's what I would do if I came, and God would bless that in a great way. And we've seen God just lead, uh, bring people to salvation, God build the church, and God move in the church. And I just know this. That simple principle will still work for victories within the ministry of Ocean County Baptist Church. And so uh, many people never come to Christ or live for God because they're not willing to be proved by God. And God's going to try you and God's going to test you and God's going to prepare you. My pastor used to say that God has a prepared place for a prepared man. And understand this, that preparation time is God's proving of you. And it enables you to be able to prove or try or test the opportunities and the instruments that God may give you. Psalm 34 and 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And through our trials and through our proving times is the opportunity for us to be able to find out that God is good. David's testimony in this passage was, wait a minute, a lion came after me, after the sheep, and the bear came after uh, the sheep. And uh, he says, basically, he said, I, I whipped those two. And if I whipped those two, God showed me his goodness and his strength and his ability to deliver, then, then I can trust in that same God to deliver into my hands this Philistine. And so let God prove us. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse, that ye may, it may be meat in my house. And prove me now, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And so not only do we prove God, but God proves us. And God says, prove me. You want to try me? You want to test me? You want to see what I can do for me? Uh, for you, uh, bring your tithes into the storehouse and watch what I do. And so this matter of proving, oftentimes we don't want to deal with the proving aspect of the Christian life. I heard a preacher preach on, uh, he made this statement. He said, the church has always been good to preach on deliverance. And God has delivered us. And God has set us free. And that is true. The church has uh, preached on that. And, and we have experienced God's deliverance. But he said this, uh, we haven't done a very good job in teaching people how to struggle and strive in life. And the reality is there are the struggles in life. There is the striving in life. There are the difficulties, even though we're a Christian, that we have to go through in life. There are those proving times that we experience through those trials. And David had been proven when the lion and the bear approached the flock. And he certainly knew that they were no different than this Philistine that he had to stand in front of. So prove me. It's all right, Lord. Prove me. Try me. 
Test me, prepare me for what it is that you want to do in my life. So let's think about that. First of all, let's consider God's proving of Israel. God's proving of Israel. Now look back in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You're going to have to look at some Bible verses tonight. Look them up. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. We see God's proving of Israel. And it's amazing to track the history of Israel and see how God would work in the life of Israel in preparing them uh, for the things that he would want to do and accomplish in them. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, And all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And this morning we preached out of numbers in reference to going into the promised land. God was going to prove them to prepare them for the possession of this promised land. Notice the proving of God would involve complete obedience. And it says in verse 1, all the commandments. He didn't say some of the commandments. He didn't say the commandments that you enjoy. He did not say the commandments that you understand. He said, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do. A very easy way to be tried and proved and tested and prepared for what God wants to do in our life is that just come to a point where you read through the scriptures, you find a command that God gives us, and you just do it. You don't argue about it. You don't try to figure it out. You don't say, how is this going to work in my life? You just do it. And we saw this morning, Israel did not obey the commandments of God. And as a result of it, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And all those that were 20 years old and older died in the wilderness. And I just wonder how many people die spiritually because they're not willing to completely obey what God has so stated. He said, you need to observe to do that you may live. That's one thing. Living. What a, what a wonderful life Christ gives us. New life that he gives us. But he didn't say just live. Oftentimes people are content just to live. Just to get by. He didn't say that. He said that you may live and multiply. And go in and possess the land. And so God wants us to go beyond just getting by. You know, you know uh, I, I just really believe that God expects more out of us than mediocrity. I believe that God wants us to accomplish more than just getting by in our life. And so we are able to go beyond and possess the land and enjoy the rewards of God as we completely com, uh, co obey, obey what he has said. I see not only a complete obedience, but in verse 2 I see a sincere reverence. Notice he says, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what is in thy heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. Now, wait a minute. God's not surprised by anything, nor does he have to have man reveal anything to him. And so that tells me when he makes this statement that you might remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Why did he lead them that way? To humble them. Uh, God rejects the proud. We need to humble ourselves in the presence of God so that he may prove us and try us 
Why? So that we might know what is in our heart. I'll tell you, the, the, uh, the most, uh, the strongest enemy that I have in my life is me. Because I'll lie to myself. I'll tell myself I'm doing better than what I really am. And I need God to humble me so that I might prove who I am and what's really in my heart uh, so that I might be able to keep his commandments, a sincere reverence of God. I remember years ago, a uh, deacon in my home church uh, was dying of cancer. And uh, they, they told him in the hospital, they said, we know that you've got to be in pain. And he would never say anything about pain or anything else. And they said, you, the type of cancer you have, you have got to be in pain. It's okay to let us know that we, you're in pain so that we can help manage that for you. And his response was, well, I would never, I would never want to say anything or do anything that would bring a, a dishonor to my Lord Jesus Christ. And his, his idea, his proving, his experiencing in his life what brought him to a point of humility where he had sincere reverence to God Almighty. And it is not about us being forced to do or be something. It is about us reverencing the God who has delivered us and set us free. And so God's proving of Israel was through complete obedience and sincere reverence. Then in verse 3, a spiritual emphasis. Notice in verse 3, he says, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live." A spiritual emphasis. God fed them daily in the wilderness. We saw this morning the statistics of what it would take to feed the multitudes of three million people in the desert. But realize this. God rained manna from heaven to give them exactly what they needed every day. And they could not hoard what was there to save it over for leftovers the next day. Because it was rotten and it was no good. Why? Because God wanted them to spiritually experience that God was able to feed them because life is more than just what we eat or what we drink, but it is God himself. And so we don't have to worry about what we eat or drink because God can take care of us. And so the proving of Israel, we can experience that proving in our life. Know this, realize this, that when God is working in our life, uh, we just need to find the spiritual emphasis that God wants us to enjoy. Every trial, every proving, every experience we go through, if we do not come out on the other side with a new understanding of who our God is, we have failed in that trial. So God's proving of Israel. I see in Judges chapter 6, this concept of God proving carries over in Judges chapter 6. Uh, Gideon's proving of God's will. And uh, if I can get over there, I'll get over to Judges real quick. Uh, just keep turning to the right a little bit. Try to line these up so it'll be easy to find. But in Judges chapter 6, we find Gideon discerning the will of God for his life. And, and so Gideon's proving of God's will. Judges chapter 6 and verse 36. 
Um, notice he tells us, Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon the, all the earth beside, then I, shall I know that thou shalt, will, I'm sorry, thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou said. And it was so, as, for he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a, full, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto, the, unto God, let, me, let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground. Let uh, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on the ground. And so the Gideon's proving of God's will for his life, and how how we need to be ready to discern and to prove the will of God. And uh, first of all, why would he do it? Because he faced a task that was greater than his ability. In Luke, uh, Judges chapter 6 and verse 3, notice it says, and, and so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou shalt come unto Gaza and left no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Gideon desired to prove God's will for his life because he knew he was facing a task that was greater than what his ability is. Now listen, it's, it's a good thing to be able to prove the will of God in your life. Uh, one of the things I think is so vitally important in the Christian life is to know exactly what is the will of God for my life. The will of God is not just because I feel good and fuzzy about something and I think I'm going to do it. The will of God always lines up with what Scripture says. The will of God always is revealed by the prodding of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And the will of God is always experienced through the providential move of God in our life in placing us and putting us where we're supposed to be. And Gideon wanted to know God had approached him and called him a mighty man of valor and revealed to him that he was to deliver Israel. But I'm going to tell you that task of delivering Israel was beyond his ability to do so. So he wanted to make sure what the will of God was. And I think we need to be willing to discern what the will of God is. He faced not only a task that was greater than his ability, but he faced the reality of his own uncertainty. Notice in Judges chapter 6, in verse 12, 
And he says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? See his doubt. See his uncertainty about the situation. And then he goes on and says, And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of? Uh, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Uh, but now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And so not only did he uh, face a task that was greater than his own ability, but he faced the reality of his own uncertainty. He could not see himself as being the one that would be able to do that. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 17, he said unto him, I, I'm sorry, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Uh, he is stirred with the uncertainty of what, not just what his abilities are, but whether it is God, in fact, that is calling him and directing him to fulfill that. He faced a task that was greater than his ability. He faced a reality of his own uncertainty. And it's kind of like the man who had the son that needed to be healed. And he said, Jesus told him, if thou believest, all things are possible to him to believeth. And his response, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Uh, because when it comes to discerning the will of God, there's doubts that come and flood our heart and our soul. He faced also the truth of God's response. And God's response to him is just simply in uh, chapter 6 and verse 40, God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only. And there was dew on all the ground. And so God revealed, God responded to what his desire was, what his proving he had to experience. God confirmed it as he put this fleece out before the Lord. So Gideon's proving God's will. Just as important as God proves his people, uh, our, his people need to prove or discern the will of God for his life. I remember my wife and I, when we went to Bible college years ago, there were some things that we put out as a fleece before the Lord. Uh, we went to go to look at Bible colleges. We went down to Bob Jones University, and Dr. Paul Vanneman was on the board down there. He was supposed to meet us. And certainly his mother was a member of our home church. And we went down to South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. It does not snow in Greenville, South Carolina. It did when we went down there. And we went down there, and all of these crazy people, these people down south don't know how to drive in the snow. I mean, they're spinning out and going in the ditches and all this, that, and the other. And so we got down there, we checked into our motel, went over to the school. Dr. Vanneman wasn't there. So I left a message for him to call me when he got back. I left the phone number for the school, uh, for the motel room. I came back to the motel. We didn't have cell phones back then, amen. And uh, so we got back to the motel. And then uh, we, I went back the next day, and, or I called over there, and they said, uh, well, he left a message for you to meet him where such and such place. So I went over to meet him. He wasn't there. Uh, to come to find out later, I talked to him. He said the phone number I gave him was some phone number that was long distance in another state. Now, I got it right off the phone that was in the motel room. 
So my wife and I figured that night we were staying over because we wanted to meet with him the next day. We went to Red Lobster to get something to eat. We came back to the motel room and liked to died. I don't know what we got, food poisoning or something. I don't know, but I know what, but one thing. We were both laying in bed sick as dogs. And I told my wife, I said, I don't need God to take a baseball bat and hit me in the head. But I know this, we're not to be in South Carolina and we're getting out of here tomorrow morning. And we packed our bags and we got out of there. And uh, this, you say, so what does that have to do? Discerning the will of God, proving the will of God. We went down there to look at the college. We put everything in place. Hey, if God wants us down here, then he'll do X, A, B, C. And uh, he didn't do ABC. He sent us back to Jersey. We went out to a Midwestern Baptist College. We're going to go to Midwestern Baptist College. And uh, when we got to the college, we were going to go from there to Hiles Anderson University out in Indiana. And we got to Midwestern. We knew that was where God wanted us to do. But when we went there, we put a fleece out to God. Uh, we're going to get a motel. I mean, get a, we're going to need to rent an apartment. Uh, this is how much money it's going to have cost. That, we can't afford any more than that. Uh, my wife wanted an apartment or a house that had washer and dryer hookup. And sometimes you say, well, that's, that's a stupid thing. No, it isn't. A woman wants her washer and dryer there, so she doesn't have to go to the laundromat. So we prayed, God give us a house that has a washer and dryer hookup. And uh, just simple things. Some people look at it and say, that's stupid. No, it's not stupid to me. And, and so then we had a dog. And I'm thinking, okay, now who in the world is going to let us rent a place Then we have a dog? The place, the first place we looked at the rent, uh, the rule was no pets. Uh, no dogs, certainly, in the apartment. And it was like an old row house or condo type thing. And uh, I told the, the landlord, I said, look, we got a dog. I've had the dog. The dog is, is housebroken. The dog doesn't do anything in the house. And, and, you know, if the dog damages something, I'll pay for it, whatever. You know, we, you know, we want to bring our dog. And he said, okay, you can bring your dog. And so we brought our dog. There was something, what else did we say? There was, there was like three or four things that we put out as a fleece to God to show and, 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 and literally establish in our hearts the doubts that we had would be eliminated if God would do A, B, C, and D. And everything we put on the list, God did. So what did we do? We just went home, packed our bags, rented a U-Haul, and left. And everybody was shocked by that. You say, why would you do that? Because I was able to prove or discern or understand what the will of God is. Now listen, well, you don't enter into these things irrationally. You don't enter into these things as far as being foolish. There's a fine line between faith and foolishness. But Gideon knew the task was greater than his ability. Gideon knew that he had some doubts and some concerns about what was going to take place. But he also knew that he could face the truth of what God's promise was and that God would see him through and he put the felice out and God confirmed to him what the will of God was for his life. Now my wife and I have done that every time we have made a decision about where we are going or what ministry we're going to be involved in. Over these 35 years, that's how we approached everything. 
I want to prove. I want to try. I want to test. I want to know what the will of God is. I just don't want to just make decisions all in a whim. I just want, I want to know what it is that God wants to do. So we see God's proving of Israel or his people. We see Gideon's proving of God's will. Look at Daniel chapter 1. We see Daniel's proving to the world. And uh, I appreciate what uh, Pastor Petrozello said in the discussion time in reference about being a light, that people might see the light of Christ in us. And uh, certainly uh, we want to be able to prove to the world that Jesus Christ is real and God makes a difference in our life. Listen, people may argue and disagree with you theologically, but I'm going to tell you one thing right now. They cannot argue with you when you have a personal testimony of the peace of God that passes all understanding. And Daniel's proving to the world in Daniel chapter 1 in verse 12. It says, prove thy servants, I beseech thee. Who's he saying that to? He's, he's saying that to the leaders in Babylon. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. And so notice his proving to the world was committed in time. He says, prove us 10 days. May I say this? If you're going to be a, a test or a trial or a light or a witness in this world, you're going to have to invest time into people's lives. And you need to allow people to watch you over a time period. And I just know this, I've seen over the years people come to Christ because of watching the testimony of another Christian. And it, it, they, they prove, they reveal to that unsaved person that God is real because they don't give up on God. They keep going ahead for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, oh, uh, it's a commitment in time. It's a commitment in separation. In verse 12, he says, let us... Uh, let this, them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Rather than sitting at the king's table, they were willing to eat pulse. Pulse, what I understand, is like a pea soup. Oh, how disgusting. And, uh, and so they were committed to separate from what everybody else was enjoying for the purpose of revealing or proving to the world that their God was real that God could move and God could bless, irregardless of what the, the, they might be receiving. And then in verse 13, it was committed in observation. It says, then let our countenance be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. And so they were willing to be examined or being willing to be observed. Oftentimes people say, I don't want people looking at me. Uh, well, they are looking at you. The reality is they are looking at you. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. They know whether you're a Christian or not. They know what your testimony is. And they're observing how you're going to respond. I remember I was in Dividing Creek, one, one, one of the church members down there. Uh, my lawnmower, the lawnmower for the church had broke. And I took it over to his house, which was right across down the street. And uh, to work on that thing, and I mean things just, well, you know, sometimes when you do mechanics, you men know, it just does not come apart like it's supposed to come apart. 
It does not come together like it's supposed to come together. And I, I work on that. I say, this stupid thing. It's just supposed to slide in there. Why well, want to go in there? But anyway, I'm, I'm working on this lawnmower, and the whole time he's just standing there staring at me. And, and then finally, finally he said this to me. He said, you know, I'm watching to see if you lose your temper or not. <laughs> I thought, why don't you kneel down here and give me a hand? Hey, we prove who Christ is to the world as they observe how we respond to situations in life. So prove me, Lord. Prove me. God's proving of Israel. Gideon's proving of God's will. Daniel's proving to the world. Then the last one is in Hebrews chapter 3, God's people proving God. This is an interesting statement because it's proving or testing uh, who God is and what God will do in our lives. Hebrews chapter 3 in uh, verse 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted and proved me and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. I see a couple things here in this matter of God's people proving their God is don't harden your heart. In verse 7, and, I mean verse 8, harden not your hearts as in the provocation of the days of temptation and will. You know, it is easy for us to harden our hearts towards God. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that Jesus rebukes the crowd because of the hardness of their hearts. I remember I preached a message years ago that dealt with the heart, hard-heartedness, I think the title of the message was. And I went through the Gospels and looked at the places where Jesus rebuked the crowds for their hard-heartedness. And the, the rebuke that we receive in Hebrews is, wait a minute, no matter what's going on, don't harden your hearts against God. And uh, God is, is, the, uh, is the one who blesses and moves in our life. And then don't, verse 9, don't reject what God is doing. Verse 9 says, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw the works, my works, I'm sorry, 40 years. Uh, don't reject what God is doing. You could look, Israel could look at their God when they were in the wilderness, and they could provoke their God. They could reject their God. They could resent their God because they were wandering in the wilderness, but there was something that God was doing in the heart of the people to prepare them for the Canaan land. So don't, listen, don't reject what God is doing. I, listen, there's been times in my life I've said, you know what, this is not my idea of fun. Uh, this is not my idea what ministry is supposed to be about. But I have found this, in those times, I cannot reject what God is doing because God's doing something for my benefit. Amen. And God is preparing me for something that he wants to accomplish through me. And so don't reject what God is doing. If he's got you in the wilderness, then let him care for you every day and let him be exalted as he does his work 
and his bidding in your life. If he has you on the mountaintop where you're rejoicing in great fellowship in the transformation of Christ on the mountaintop, then rejoice in that and allow God to do what it is that he desires to do in you. I'm just saying this. When we talk about God's, God's people proving their God is we refuse to harden our heart because we understand the work of God is important in our life. Don't ignore God's way, in verse 10. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, said they do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. You know, God's ways are not man's ways. In verse 19 of chapter 3 of Hebrews says, so, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. God has a way of moving and blessing that is, is beyond our ability to comprehend. You know, in our discussion group, when you got to the end of Luke chapter 9, it says that they were amazed at the power of God for this boy's demon being cast out of him. And the word amazed uh, means literally stunned. It means to be shocked. It, they were overwhelmed with emotion. They didn't know how to respond because of the power of God that was, re, was revealed. And they thought that they certainly thought that they could go in and heal this man, uh, this boy's, uh, this man's uh, son. And, uh, but they could not do anything. But Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he cast the demon out. Demon out. And God, why? Because God's ways are different than man's ways. And so I want to allow God to work in my life. I don't want to ignore his way in my life. If, if, he, if he does want us to go through a time of suffering, uh, then God has a plan for us and a purpose for us. If God, listen, if God wants to bless us, then that's okay because he has a plan for us. And it's all in reference to this matter of proving. David said, wait a minute, I can't use this armor. I can't use what you've given me to go into battle because I haven't proved them. What is God proving in your life? And what I mean by that is what is he trying? What is he testing? What is he preparing you for? And every one of us need to allow God to prepare us for the battles that we have to face. And uh, listen, I, I, we do not fight the battles that we have to fight in this world through fleshly means. We fight these battles through the power of the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, prove me. Uh, it's okay, Lord, to go ahead and try us and to test us. Uh, why? Because it's going to grow us in faith to believe God and accomplish many things for his glory. Amen? Prove me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. Uh, Lord, we don't, in a morbid sense, say thank you for trials and difficulties. But in a spiritual sense, we do say thank you, Lord. And uh, Lord, we know the desire of God is to be molding us into the image of his son. We do understand, Lord, that the world may be against us, but God is showing us how to battle against the enemies, against our soul. And Lord, I'm just thankful that we can discern or prove the will of God in our life. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can see the hand of God moving and directing us 
uh, into your perfect will and accomplishing your complete desire for us. And so, Lord, we pray for your blessings. We pray for just a sweet anointing that comes from God Almighty. And that, Lord, we might be able to be like David. And, Lord, we might not have what others have. We might not be able to fight as others fight. We might not be able to stand as others stand. But we can stand in the power of God and we can fell the giants in our life. And so, God, give us a chance, Lord to show the power of God Almighty working through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's